When people ask me, why do I combine Lacan with Marx? Well, my first answer is Lacan already did it. I think, for example, that it's only through the strict psychoanalytic Lacanian notion of fantasy that we can really grasp what Marx was aiming at with his notion of commodity fetishism. It's, I think, precisely the use of Lacanian notions like, again, fantasy, uh, fantasy in the strict Lacanian sense, or excess plus de jouir, excess enjoyment, and so on and so on, the real, not to mention the real, that we can understand today's phenomena like uh, new fundamentalist forms of racism, like the way our so-called permissive societies are functioning. Again, here, the psychoanalytic notion, especially the way it was conceptualized by Lacan, the psychoanalytic notion of superego as injunction to enjoy, as an obscene category, not as a properly ethical category, is of great help. So again, I think that if Freud, in his Freudian theory, in its traditional configuration, was appropriate to explain the standard capitalism which relied to some kind of a more traditional ethic of sexual control, repression, and so on, then Lacan is perfect to explain the paradoxes of permissive late capitalism. All right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that also gets to, I mean, what we were saying earlier about his shit with, like, political correctness and stuff, where he views political correctness as a command to enjoy, as a command to be tolerant, as a command to enjoy the presence of your fellow man, as a command to not just be polite because there's a social expectation of you to be polite, but because you want to be polite because you want to be a good person, because you're commanded to be. And I, I think like it all kind of ties in a lot. I think it's like useful to like sort of approach Zizek with like, he does have some ideas that just keep cropping up that you can then sort of listen to his shit and be like, uh, okay, I kind of understand. And I think it does come back to, again, what I said earlier about him starting with the negative. Even mm -hmm. in that, he starts with the negative in order to reinforce. I don't even know if he ever gets to a positive, affirmative view of things, but he always starts with the negative. He always well, I mean, starts it, with what was repressed, with what was prohibited. And well, then you start with the prohibition in order to gain something out of it. What is the excess? You know, in his answer to the call of the political in this movie, his ever-present answer, which he's maintained, I mean, through this day, is his job is not to provide answers, it's to provide questions. Sometimes he gives better questions yeah. than, than yeah. others. What's going on at Scottish prisons? <laughs> All right, so very niche little snide remarks. As we mentioned, the other reason why Zizek is self-loathing as shit in this movie is he thinks that uh, other professors don't think he's too smart. Yeah, and this is going back to like when I first read Sublime Object of Ideology, I noticed that he seemed to be positioning himself rhetorically against. Foucault, against Althusser, against Derrida, against the French postmodern, 
post-structuralism as like how he's approaching what he's attacking. He famously attacked Umberto Eco mm -hmm. uh, in your favorite part. Yeah. So he's attacking these kind of priestly postmodernists of the 70s and 80s. Sure. And what he ends up doing, I always viewed it as him coming to the same basic conclusions that they had while using Lacan, Marx, and Hegel in order to arrive to very, if not the same conclusions as them, but similar conclusions as post-structuralism, just from a more discursive it, route. Incidentally, I'd also say that about Zizek and much of the Frankfurt School. Yeah. Like, I think there is something to be said about Zizek where it is like, he constantly tells you he's not a liberal. And I mean, this is almost a joke on leftist circles online where it's like, oh, well, he always agrees with Western foreign policy, he always agrees with those, and he always. But like, also, like, more fundamentally than that, it's like, when you say you're a totalitarian Slavo, what do you actually mean? Because it's not a totalitarian. <laughs> you're not actually an anti liberal. You actually generally tend to agree with the idea of freedom of speech, you generally tend to agree with the notions of personal freedom in many ways that you come out, even though you virulently attack them. At one point in this, and I think it's here... Like, he, he's a humanist, and he pretends he's not, but like he often comes off just... He explicitly says he is anti-humanist, and yeah. he has a long reason for it. Sure. I, I I know, I agree, but it's like, okay, well, you seem to picture a generally liberal democratic society that values personal freedoms. You phrase it weirdly, but like, you tend to come out on that. I mean, regardless though, my general point isn't so much the intricacies of his writing, but just to go off of what you said about where he lands on the French school, despite his own protestations, I feel that way also generally about the Frankfurt School and generally about, like, liberal humanism, like, where it's, like, he doesn't seem to ever envision a, you know, society without individualized civil liberties. Like, he doesn't ever seem to actually, like, be against that. <laughs> But at the same time, he does the provocative thing where he says what we need to do on the left is harness the disciplines that have been lost and we need to... Yeah, no, he, we he need, speaks provocative. We need the force of law. Yeah, no, like if you ask him, he'll be like, oh, yes, we need to... Uh, he did that for the French protests, right? Yes, we need to actually look at how Hitler acted on the night of long knives. It'll, it'll say shit like that and then just be like, and, you know, that's why we need to oppose Putin and, you know, uh, respect the rights of private business owners to not like uh, men in dresses. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, his words, not mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, also and, not his words, don't sue me, Slavo. <laughs> but it is one of those things where he frames a liberal answer as radicalism. That's the mm. joke. He, he, that's, that's often the joke, and it's not entirely untrue. He frames a liberal approach at a controversial question as the most radical one. 
And then he'll often come out on the most conservative side of liberalism. Yeah. In that he views the conservative questions to be the repressed ones and therefore the more mm -hmm. interesting and provocative ones to be more true for anyway. the purpose of selling articles. Yeah, I, I think that's like an entirely fair way of categorizing Zizek, who's a guy I like, by the way. <laughs> um, who's a guy I like, actually really like, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>